Well, let's continue on that theme of prayer now. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. Look at verses 23 through 31. This is a passage that I consider often when I pray about what God wants to do in our midst and how he wants to use prayer in that process. It says, after they were released, we know that the apostles, Peter and John, and uh, so many times the other apostles were experiencing persecution like we've never known, uh, though we may think we've been persecuted in some way or another, but these apostles were taking a stand and doing a work and suffering the consequences. It says, they went to their own fellowship and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously. This morning we're talking about united in a commitment to kingdom prayer. And here was their prayer, Master, you are the one who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit, by the mouth of the Father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah, or his anointed. And for in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your message with complete boldness. While you stretch out your hand for the healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then it says this in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Father, we pray that for this place today. Lord, I pray that this church would be a church committed to be united in kingdom prayer, that we would join our hearts together and our voices together to engage in conversation with Almighty God that causes us to see and experience what you're doing in this world and to yield ourselves to what you want to do in our lives and in our church and do through us to make an impact on this world. Lord, I pray that today you would move and inspire us to walk with a new awareness of your presence, uh, with a new commitment to constant conversation with you, and with eyes to see what you're doing in our lives and in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Some of you know that uh, because of my son's influence, I've become a little bit of a NASCAR fan. And uh, I know that there's some big races coming up this fall, and these races will decide who the next champion is going to be. And I was convicted as I was preparing this message that sometimes my life is like that race. 
Now, I know the Bible uses race language, and sometimes we're to see ourselves as in this marathon where we're running, where we're in a race, where we're running in such a way that we may win the prize. And in our service unto the Lord, we're to work hard, we're to do whatever we do passionately, we're to be diligent, we're to uh, find meaning and, and purpose in whatever our hands do, and we're supposed to seek to give God glory. So nothing's wrong with pursuing victory, nothing's wrong with pursuing success but so often we get caught up in that rat race of life and we're so busy that our lives and I'm just making a confession to you this morning sometimes my life kind of mirrors that NASCAR race what do I mean by that do you realize that those guys will hit that track and they will race lap after lap after lap mile after mile after mile they will be burning the rubber off of those tires. They will be getting that engine to temperatures that you never thought they could survive. They will be wearing out those brakes. And so they will need, because they've burned up all their fuel and, and their tires have all the wear and tear, they will have to do what's called a pit stop. All right, so we've got some other fans too. They will do a pit stop. Do you realize in NASCAR, they have gotten these pit stops down to about 12 seconds, sometimes faster? 12-second pit stops. Now, for those of you who are into, like, um, Grand Prix racing and things like that, I know they do two and three seconds, and you're like, you know, NASCAR's nothing. This is real racing. But, but I mean, NASCAR, these heavy cars, you know what I'm talking about? They they stop for 12 seconds, pit stop, and then back up there on the track. And a lot of times, um, they don't finish the race. A lot of times, there are cars that uh, get all kinds of dings and dents and others that just get totally wiped out, totally wrecked, and totally ruined. And, and I believe that sometimes that's a picture of my life. And maybe it's a picture of your life sometimes, is that, man, we're so busy, and we know we need a pit stop. And so we stop for about 12 seconds in God's presence. We stop for about 12 seconds, maybe often throughout the day, but we stop for about 12 seconds. And by the way, that's better than nothing. It's better than not stopping at all to stop for 12 seconds and cry out and pray unto the Lord. But how often do we say, you know, it's, it's not just a pit stop I need. I, I, I need some time in the shop. I need some time in recovery. I need some time in, in prayer. And we wonder why we're burned out, stressed out, running on empty. We, find, we wonder why that the responsibilities we have in our workplace, the responsibilities we embrace as members of the body of Christ, we wonder why we get so burned out, we've burned all the rubber off, and, and we wonder why sometimes we're out there without power and purpose in our lives. It's because we think that a 12-second pit stop, 12 seconds in God's presence, 12 seconds of prayer is all that we need. We're called to be about all of these core values, missions and evangelism, as we looked at last week. A few weeks ago, we looked at the Bible teaching ministry of the church. We also looked a couple of weeks ago at worship. We're going to get into family and, and small groups. All of these areas are so important and vital as a church, but unless prayer permeates all of them, unless getting into God's presence pouring our heart out to him and seeking his will and his direction and his strength and his power. Unless prayer permeates everything and becomes an integral part of who you are as a person, then the rest of these things will become something that becomes an impossibility in your life and in my life. So our 
core value on prayer says we are committed to prayer, that we will continue to keep prayer a priority in every aspect of the life of the church and in the lives of our members. We have a vision for a prayer room here. Some of you may want to volunteer to help out with making that a reality. We have a vision uh, to be dedicated to display prayer needs to our church, our family, uh, prayer, prayer needs for our church and our, our church family, for the staff, for the lost, for the hurting and the sick, the bereaved, the people who are involved in missions, our governments, and those with special needs. And that prayer be a part of our corporate worship services, but also a part of who we are as individual Christians. In Acts chapter 4, we notice that the church here is beginning to be at a place where they just kind of blow the roof off the church. The church is about to explode with growth. Oh yeah, it happened to some degree in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 were added to the church that day. But God was doing something in the life of the church because as the church began to grow, the church began to experience persecution. When you begin to get in on God's will for your life and you begin to walk in step with God, I'll guarantee you the enemy is going to attack. And so now the apostles are saying, man, everything Jesus promised about the Holy Spirit coming in and and living in us and empowering us to do his will, man, we're seeing that happen. But the enemy didn't like that. This world didn't like that. So they begin to experience persecution. They begin to be confronted. And if you look at verse 23 that precedes the text, here it says that they, when they were released, meaning they had been even in prison for what they were doing, they were persecuting, uh, being persecuted for what they were doing. If you go back to what Jesus had taught them from the very beginning, remember he said, you, you wait until you're endowed with power from the Holy Spirit. And so Acts begins with this waiting on God to do something. And I think that waiting was an active waiting as they were praying and seeking his face. And he sent the Holy Spirit to do a work. Well, here they are again saying, we know the secret to experiencing God's hand at work in our lives, and that secret is prayer. And so verse 24 says that they raised their voices together. They were committed to being united in kingdom prayer. What do we mean by kingdom prayer? Prayer that puts the kingdom of God first and foremost. Prayer that God seems foremost interested in answering throughout the scriptures. And so I want to kind of break this passage down a little bit for us this morning. And let's see if there's a pattern that we can also embrace as a church, a pattern you can embrace in your prayer life at home, a prayer that you can pray for your family. Can we learn some principles of kingdom praying? Certainly we can. And the first one is this, kingdom prayer acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Kingdom prayer acknowledges that God is ultimately in control. That God is not rattled by the things that rattle us. In fact, why would we want to cry out and pray to a God if we were to cry out to Him and and we were to say, Dear God, I'm in a mess. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then God looked back at us and say, I know, I don't know what I'm going to do either. But we often think that that's the shape that God is in. And we need to understand that kingdom prayer acknowledges that God is in control. It acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Look back at verse 24 again. 
he says, when they had heard this, they raised their voices to God, united, right, unanimously. They're together in this prayer. They're committed. And they said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You are creator God. It's much like what Jesus was teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. Not that we recite the Lord's Prayer or what some call the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It's not that we recite that as a magic potion that if we say it before a ball game, we might win that ball game. We say the Lord's Prayer because it serves as a model to teach us certain principles. Our Father who art in heaven You are in the place of authority. You're the one who created the heavens and the earth. You're the one in control. And so we're praying your kingdom done. It's all about the fact that you are the sovereign God of the universe. The Lord's Prayer closes with these words. It's your kingdom, your power, your glory that we're after. Kingdom prayer acknowledges the sovereignty of God in what we're praying about. And the wonderful thing, for those of you who are facing persecution, for those of you who are facing opposition, for those of you who have something coming against you physically, spiritually, financially, you've got something attacking you right now, which is probably the majority of us. Kingdom prayer that acknowledges the sovereignty of God reveals the futility of the opposition. I love this. When we begin to recognize God's sovereignty, he opens our eyes to the futility of to the vain attempts of the opposition. And so as he's praying here, he begins to, in verse 25, quote some scripture. He says, you've said through your Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. This is in Psalm 2, by the way. Why did the nations, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot a futile thing? The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In other words, David the psalmist was writing, and when he was considering the sovereignty of God in Psalm chapter 2, he was saying, why did the enemies of God think that they could actually do something to hold back what God was all about? It's that God sits in heaven and he kind of laughs at all of the, the, the fact that we think that somehow the enemies of God and, and the worldly system around us can do something to mess up what God had planned all along. And so we're acknowledging that God is sovereign, God is in control, and that he's not rattled by anything, not by human governments whatsoever. There are so many people today, it's kind of funny, it really doesn't matter who's elected president anymore, that people are going to be rattled and think, well, I've just messed everything up. I remember in 2008, oh no, Obama's the president what are we going to do? God's not up there going, what am I going to do about this situation? And now it's kind of a different crowd. Oh no, Trump's the president of the United States. What are we going to do? And God's up there going, who are you looking to to be the leader in your life if you're a child of the living God? Why are you looking for human governments to be your answer rather than the Lord Jesus Christ? His sovereignty reveals the futility of all human institutions and even those that represent spiritual attacks that come against the kingdom. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, now Jeremiah knew that Israel was going to suffer great consequences for their rebellion, but he, 
He cried out, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. And then he said this, And God, I know that there is nothing too difficult for you. So whatever it is that's coming against you personally this morning, it's nothing to God. Oh, it's a big deal to you, and I understand that. And you feel overwhelmed, and that's okay, that makes sense. But it's not a big deal to God. It's not something he can't handle. It's something that might devastate me. It might devastate you because we are finite people with finite minds and we're so fragile and our hearts are so easily broken and and the things that we hold on to so dearly are, are so hard for us to get our arms around, but it's not too big for God. The God who created all this, put this world in the motion, the author and finisher of faith, the one who started all of this, the one who's going to bring it all to a conclusion and bring us into his glory one day, it's not too big for him. The one who is able to work all things together for the glory of them who love him and are called according to his purposes wants us to approach him with faith. Remember what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible. What do we mean by faith? It's faith that recognizes that God is a sovereign God, that God is the one who put this world into motion. God has all things under his feet. He is in control. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six 6 says. And it goes on to say, because they who come to him must come believing that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we really believe, if I go to God, that he has my best interest in mind and he has the power to do something about it? We begin to pray about things that he is sovereignly revealing when it comes to his hand at work in our lives. You know, none of you have ever given me a call as your pastor and said, I I need some carpentry done at my house. Will you come help me fix a few things? I've got some steps. I've got a door frame. Actually, I've got a few door frames if you're into that. Uh, I've got got some flooring that needs to... Nobody's ever... None of you have ever called me as Pastor Robbie... um, I need some engine work done on my car. Will you come over and help me uh, work on the engine of my car? None of you have ever asked me. You know what that tells me? Most of you have no confidence whatsoever in my carpentry skills or my engine skills. And for good cause. If you've looked at my house or uh, the engines of my vehicles, you know that that is not my thing. I have no wisdom there. I have no authority there. I have no expertise. So you don't call on me. What does it say when we face spiritual needs, when we face financial needs, when we have physical needs because something's not happening right with our bodies, and we don't call on God? When we don't seek his face, we're saying, I don't really have confidence that God is willing and able to do something about this situation. We don't have a lot of trust. And so we're lacking in power and provision and passion to do what he's called us to do. We forget that it's okay to cry out and say, I can't, but I know you can. 
We, we make fun of Peter because when he got out of the boat, by the way, most of us will never have enough faith to even get out of the boat to start with, but when he got out of the boat and he began to walk on water and the winds and the storm came and he did what we do when the storms of life come, he began to sink. We forget this man prayed out of his helplessness and hopelessness, Lord, save me. And when he cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus pulled him up out of the water and walked him back to the boat. He believed that Jesus could save him and cried out. And we're like, man, I feel so embarrassed that I'm sinking. I, have, I feel so embarrassed that I have these problems. Listen, all that does is reveal to you and to me that we are human, we're not God, and that he is. And that we need to cry out to him Lord, save me. You are the sovereign God of this universe, and you can do all things with your power. Second principle here, kingdom prayer appeals to the Scriptures. <laughs> kingdom prayer appeals to the Scriptures. I just read verse 25 and 26, and I told you that it was a quote of Psalm chapter 2. And so in his prayer, we have the people of God, Peter leading, but we have the people of God praying according to the Word of God. We're praying, when we pray according to the Word of God, we're praying the revealed will of God. We're saying, in essence, your kingdom come, your will, which is revealed in Scripture, be done. Luther said to have prayed well is to have studied well. And so when we study the Word of God and we understand the will of God, then we're able to pray the will of God. And when we ask anything according to His will, we'll have what we ask. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, then we have what we ask. But we have to know and understand the will of God. And we have to pray according to the will of God. And we have to pray according to the word of God if we're going to pray according to the will of God. So that means we want to look at scripture and the biblical prayers. We want to look at prayers like in Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, where Paul is telling the church, I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every way, that you'll bear fruit in every good work. Those are biblical prayers. We'll read John 17, which is not the model prayer like Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, it gives us a model, gives us a pattern. And John 17 is really the Lord's prayer where he begins to just pray. And he's praying for the unity of the church. He's praying that there will be love among the disciples of Christ, that they'll love each other, and so that their love will cause them to be world-impact Christians. And so this love and this unity and this legacy, he begins to pray for that before he would be crucified for the sins of the world. That was the heart of his prayer, that their success would be built on their unity in him and their love for one another. What moves your prayer? Is it the will of God and the word of God? Is it when you begin to pray what God is all about? See, what, what is it that you enjoy doing in life for others? I mentioned carpentry or construction needs. Some of you have that gift. Some of you have tutoring skills and teaching skills. Do some of you have coaching skills, leadership skills? See, when people ask us to help with something that we are gifted at, we delight in helping them out because we exercise our passion. And when we pray to Almighty God according to His will 
and his passions, when we begin praying the word of God and say, Lord, according to your word, this is your will, and I'm praying that this will be actualized in my life, then we're inviting God to do what he is already passionate about doing and already sovereignly at work doing in this world, and now we're engaged in the process through prayer. And so scripture is revealing those passions and those processes. The scripture keeps it from being a self-focused and instead a biblically and Christ-centered focus. And so if I am praying for healing, I'm praying for healing according to the will and the purposes and the glory of God that I might be at my best physically in order to serve him and make a difference in this world as he sees fit. If I'm praying for victory over sinful bondage, I'm praying that I would get free from that addiction or habitual sin that I might not be robbed of power when it comes to making a difference in this world for his glory. When I pray for a strong marriage or for a marriage to be reconciled, then I'm praying that that marriage will be saved, that marriage will be reconciled so that it can model the love of Christ for his church and the love of church for Christ and that that family can be strong for God's glory, not just so that I can sleep better at night, but I can have uh, the peace of knowing that I'm giving him glory in all of life's pursuits. And so I want to pray biblically. I want to pray according to the scriptures. The third principle is this. Kingdom prayer is applied to the situation at hand. The first two principles kind of make us think, well, okay, well then prayer is all about him. It's not about me. Does he really care about the situation at hand? Of course he cares about everything that touches my life and everything that touches your life because you are a child of the living God. And so in verse 28, says to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place in other words it's still about your glory still about the fact that you're a sovereign god back to his sovereign plan but now to the need of our hour verse 29 and now lord consider their threats consider what we're facing at this moment grant to your slaves or your servants that we may speak your message with complete boldness. They're, they're coming against everything we're trying to do for your glory, Lord, and so we need you, and we need you to give us boldness. We need you to give us courage. That's what the need of the hour is. While you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, God, we pray that you would give us this confirmation of your presence in our life, but we pray that you would give us courage to keep on doing what you called us to do. And we don't know how that prayer is going to be answered. I love what Dr. James Merritt said one time about the three Hebrew children. He says, we need a but-if-not kind of faith. Remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace? And they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we, we don't have to answer you in this. We know that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He can deliver us from your hands. And they said, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. God can save us from the fire. God can save us through the fire. But if he chooses to take us on into glory, and we love that story because Jesus was present with them in the fiery furnace and they came out and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes and so we're like man that's the kind of faith I want to have what about the faith of Stephen who was under the same kind of persecution and they picked up stones and began to stone him to death because he had an answer to this prayer right here in the book of Acts 
This prayer was answered in the life of Stephen as he stood there and he proclaimed the word of God with boldness. And as they stoned him to death, he was not spared from death, but he walked right into the presence of Jesus. And it was an answer of prayer, not only his courage, his boldness, but that he saw Jesus stand. You were like, man, I don't know, at that hour, how could I survive that moment? God does something supernatural for his children at that moment. He began to see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he walked right out of the realm of this life and into the realm of glory and into the presence of Jesus. That was an answer to prayer. So what's your specific situation? What are you facing today where you need to pray? Can you hear the words of Paul to the church at Philippi? Be anxious for nothing. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Get a little nervous, get a little anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and what will happen? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You'll understand again that God's got it all under control. And finally, kingdom prayer is answered through the Spirit of God. Kingdom prayer is answered through and by the Holy Spirit, not our ability to manipulate God to work on our behalf. Look at verse 31. It says, when they had prayed these things, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Shaken by what? The Holy Spirit. Since they were filled with the Holy Spirit, then through the Spirit's power they began to speak God's message. That's what they were asking for courage, for boldness in the face of persecution. While they acknowledged the Scriptures showed that all of the attack of human governments were going to come to no avail, they didn't say, God, remove the attackers. Instead, they said, give us boldness in the face of the opposition. So they were filled with the Spirit. They became missional and continued to change their world with the love of Christ. You know, God really isn't about making deals with us in prayer. It's about us getting in on His created purpose and His glory in our lives. A huge aspect of answered prayer. A big part of knowing God has answered your prayer is an awareness of his presence and his power in your life. The circumstances may change. He may calm the storms, or he may allow the storms to continue to rage and calm your heart in the middle of the storm, which is even a greater miracle. But when we have that peace and that presence and his power in our lives, many times that's the greatest part of the answered prayer. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that about. Only the Holy Spirit of God, God working in Christ through the Holy Spirit, making all the difference. Zechariah prophesied in, in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, it's not going to be by might, speaking of human might, not by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When God does a work, he's going to do that work through his spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ working in us, through us, around us, and often in spite of us. But it's by His Spirit. Prayer is hard work. But life is much harder without prayer. Any of you ever got in one of these uh, paddle boats? You know, how many of you like to get in a paddle boat and go around, man? Boy, that's hard work. It seems like any time I've ever gotten one, it's on one of those days it's like 112 degrees outside, you know? 
You go to a lake somewhere and you're like, can I just get out of the paddle boat and jump in the water? And you're paddling and you're working and you're paddling and you're working and you're just like, man, this is, this is quite the workout. It's good exercise, but quite the workout. The, the Spirit had rather us be in a sailboat rather than us trying to steer in God where we want to go to learn how in through prayer to set ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives and move us where he wants to move us, to do what he wants to do as a church, to pray, and to so pray that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the place might be shaken to do what God wants to do in us and through us, to pray in our homes, to pray in our private life, to do more than a 12-second pit stop and to say we've just got to get on our knees today and we've got to spend some time in prayer. Mom, Dad, do you still get on your knees beside your children's bed and, and pray for them and pray for God to work? Or do you spend like 10 times more time fussing at them about what they're not doing rather than praying for them to experience the Holy Spirit's work in their life? You spend time arguing with your spouse or praying for your spouse? You spend time complaining about that boss or praying for that boss? Complaining about that teacher or praying for that teacher. Complaining about that person you go to school with or work with or praying for them. So many times we're guilty of even doing good things in the flesh rather than praying that God will do what only he can do. If I can go back to just confessing my problem, not only sometimes trying to take the pit stops of prayer throughout life rather than just camping out in God's presence for a while. Sometimes I'm guilty of thinking human wisdom intellect, strategy. Oh, I love to go to a good strategy conference. What ministry strategies are working in the world? Strat if we can do the right strategy, if we can implement the right curriculum in our small groups, if we can just get this or that. How many times do we stop and say, it's not by might nor by power, it's not by human wisdom, but it's by the Spirit of the living God, and if God's going to do anything in my life, if he's going to do anything in my family, if he's going to use my church, it's going to be because we encountered him in prayer and cried out in desperation and said, God, we can't do this, but you can do this. I can't get through this, but you can carry me through this. I can't face this opposition that has come into my life, but you can do all things, and you can do it in me, you can do it in through me, and you can do it in spite of me. And it will be for your glory, whatever comes. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you that your word tells us when we pray, you hear our prayers. When we come before you humbly confessing that we're sinners and we don't have it all together, we can discover like Peter that when things are over our head, they're still under your feet. And as our sovereign Lord, you delight in making your will known, your power known in the answering of our prayers. Help us to be that generation that seeks your face. We pray this in Jesus' name.